Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. In our our study through these 15 songs, Psalm 120 to 135, all songs that God's people would sing as they traveled from all over Israel as families, and they would head to Jerusalem a couple of times a year for the special celebrations that God commanded them to observe, songs they would sing on the way. And this particular one, Psalm 125, it teaches us and it celebrates the safety and the stability of God's people. Uh, It is a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus that provides that safety. That's what provides stability in our lives. Now, the last song we studied together, I think a couple of weeks ago, Psalm 124, it asked us to ponder this question, what if God had not been on our side? Uh, What if we had to go through life in this world without the Lord? Well, um, we would have no genuine safety or stability, would we? And as born-again believers, it's probably somewhat difficult for us to even kind of conceive that, especially if you've been saved for a long period of time. Uh, It's hard for us to even think about it because we do have the Lord as our our, uh, stability and our safety in the relationship with him that uh, that affords. But um, maybe you notice it in unsaved friends, coworkers, uh, family members. You know, they don't respond to things like you do because they don't have what you do in Jesus Christ. Uh, The fear, the pain, the hopelessness, uh, lack of confident direction uh, that those who don't know the Lord experience. You know, we refer to them, this kind of Christian jargon, as the lost. That's a pretty good description for them. They're lost. So let's read Psalm 125 now. Let's be reminded of God's goodness to us. And Jesus says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As a mountain surrounds Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land that's allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Peace be upon Israel. Verse 1 here uh, stresses the permanence of God's people Uh, Here, the psalmist, he uses the strongest possible analogy, the most powerful object lesson that he can think of to teach us about the stability, about the permanence of God's people. It says in verse 1, those who trust in the Lord, they're like Mount Zion. And why does that communicate permanence? Well, it says because it cannot be moved, it abides forever. So just like the mountain of God there in Jerusalem, Uh, What Jerusalem is built on, just like the mountain of God, uh, the child of God cannot be moved, and he abides for eternity. Now, we have to notice that there's a condition to this promise of permanence. It's, It's for, and it's made to, those who trust in the Lord. 
So this experience, this promise of permanence, it's not universal. It's not made to everyone. It's made to those who trust in the Lord. And uh, the experience of it, it actually being a reality in our life, um, is not made to those who trust in the Lord sometimes. Uh, and then go trust in, in this or in that in addition to the Lord. It's made to those who trust in the Lord alone. Now, uh, the Christian who has placed their trust in Jesus for salvation, even us, we, we're tempted from time to time to place our trust in other things, um, for other things besides salvation. Uh, and we may every so often, we might yield to that temptation. And that doesn't mean we lose our salvation, uh, but we definitely have a weakened experience of this sense of stability, this permanence that God provides to those who trust in the Lord alone. Pastor David Guzik, he wrote, we can't properly trust in the Lord until we remove all of our trust in other things. The Lord alone is our refuge and strength. And really, um, this is a core teaching throughout God's word, that anybody who wants to deal with God Anybody who wants to enter a relationship with God, all who want to come to him for help and for salvation, they have to deal in trust. Uh, the Old Testament, that's the Old Testament word uh, for faith. In Isaiah 55, it, it tells us that that's the currency of faith. Uh, it's one of my favorite passages. Uh, Isaiah asks there, um, are you thirsty? Well, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come ye, buy and eat. Well, that makes no sense. You have no money. How are you going to come and buy and eat? And it's talking about putting your trust in the Lord. That is the currency in which we deal with God. And so I want you to think about these people. Uh, they're traveling from all over Israel up to Jerusalem. It sits on Mount Zion. And they see it in the distance as they're traveling there. They're impressed with its stature like you might be when you go out to the mountains here in, in North Carolina. Um, I mean, those mountains aren't going anywhere, right? They've been there in place uh, probably since the flood. Uh, I mean, that's stability. That's permanence. And God is teaching us here in verse 1 that the same stability, not really even a greater level of permanence belongs to those who trust in the Lord. Um, he will give this comfort, this experience, this uh, sense of stability and permanence only to those who give credit to him and make it appear that they do so by quitting any other confidences that they might be tempted to have. Um, some people are like the wind, Scripture tells us. Uh, Ephesians 4.14 4, describes them as uncertain, uh, inconsistent. It says they're tossed to and fro. They're carried about with every wind of doctrine. Some people are like the sea. They're restless. They're unsettled. Isaiah 57, 20 says the wicked are like the troubled sea. When it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. And God says in James 1, 6, that those who doubt, they're like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. But those who trust in the Lord, verse 1, tells us they're like Mount Zion cannot be moved. It'll abide forever. And isn't that the promise that Jesus makes to us in John 10, 28? It says, to those who place their trust in him for salvation, Jesus says, I will give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. We move on to verses 2 and 3. 
where it talks about the protection of God's people. And so another analogy is provided here in verse 2. Another one that would be visible to these pilgrims on their road trip up to Jerusalem. It says, as a mountain surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. And so, um, Rodney, you've been to Israel, right? So uh, Mount Zion is where Jerusalem, especially the, the temple and the old palace are located on a high point. But there's also hills that are surrounding uh, Jerusalem, Mount of Olives. There's other ones that's probably, I, I would say, the most famous one. And um, they surround Jerusalem. These pilgrims would, would see it. They would recognize what the psalmist is talking about here. They're like silent sentinels. Uh, as far as a geographic defensive position, that's why Jerusalem was built there. Um, protected the city from those who would attack her. And in much the same way, verse 2 is telling us that the Lord stands surrounding to protect us from the assaults of those who would do us harm. And I think these pilgrims would be able to make spiritual application from the geography that they saw as they were singing this hymn together. Now, Krista and I, we just got back from our trip to the mountains. We stayed in Deep Gap. Well, I don't really think we stayed in Deep Gap. We passed like two little unincorporated things on the way down there, something called Triplet, and I don't even know where we actually were. But um, it, it was a ways. But we're down in this deep valley. Mountains are literally surrounding us. Um, some of y'all have been there. I think Ben and Tanya, you were near us when we stayed there together a couple months back and Scott Mary a couple years ago. But... Um, I mean, yeah, it gets dark about an hour earlier than anywhere else. And the sun doesn't come up as early as it does in other places. We're surrounded. We would feel surrounded by those mountains. And that's the image here. The Lord surrounds his people. Well, who are his people? Go back to verse 1. They're those who trust in him. If that is you, well, then this promise of protection applies to you. It's yours to claim and faith. You understand that the Lord surrounds you, Christian? He surrounds you. Do, do you realize that nothing can get past him to you unless it goes through him? Nothing. And is that not a great source of comfort for you? It is for me. Uh, the old-time Baptist pastor, evangelist F.B. Meyer, he once said, this helps us to understand God's, how God's permissions become God's appointments or his will for our life. That, that any assault by our foes is at the very least it's permitted by God and his permissions become his appointment. So nothing, there is nothing that happens to us without the permission of our always good and all-powerful God, the one who surrounds us to protect us and understanding this leads us to realize that anything he does send our way then, it's intentional. It's not fate. It's not just haphazard. It's not bad luck. It's intentional and it's purposeful. Um, it doesn't slip by him. <laughs> he knows about it. And he must be allowing it in our lives for us to grow in Christlikeness. Uh, let me jump ahead to Psalm 139.5. There David says, you have enclosed me behind and before, and you've laid your hand on me. Let me go back to Psalm 32, 7. And David says there, you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. 
And if we look at the end of verse 2 here, it fuels our faith even more powerfully because this promise of protection for those who trust in the Lord, it's perpetual. It's not going to stop. You won't wake up tomorrow and this promise doesn't apply to you. It's unending. This is his promise to those who are his by faith in Jesus, and it's your promise forever. So when difficult circumstances might come our way, when what seems to be an evil attack enters our lives, we've got the promise of verse 3. And what does it say there? That the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Now we need to notice that the promise is not that the scepter of wickedness shall never come into our lives, uh, but that it shall not rest there. And I would propose this is kind of like the Psalm, uh, Psalms version of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where God promises us that there's no temptation that's overtaken us, but such is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of an escape. Or we could say this is a Psalms version of Isaiah 54, 17, where we're promised that no weapon that's formed against us will prosper. God doesn't say no weapon will be formed against you. He says it won't prosper. And God is telling us here that the scepter of wickedness will not rest on the land that's allotted to the righteous. So God's promise of protection is always that he's going to bring us through trials, not that he's going to keep us from them. And we cannot remove verse 3 outside of the context of verse 1 either. The promise of protection here is for those who have the promise of permanence. It's for those who trust in the Lord. And if we're not doing that, we've got no right to claim this promise of protection or the previous one. We've got no right to, to claim that the scepter of wickedness should not rest on us. In fact, in the history of God's people, if we consider back in the Old Testament, um, there were times that the scepter of wickedness rested on the nation. Never permanently, um, but sometimes for generations or more. Uh, you know those Old Testament accounts. God's people would stop putting their faith and trust in him. They would turn and put their trust in other things, maybe idols, foreign gods, uh, maybe an alliance with an ungodly nation. And when that happened, and in order to bring them back to him, God most certainly would let a scepter of wickedness rest for a brief time on the land allotted to them. But, but it was never permanent, was it? No, because the, the first verse applied that would break God's first promise here in Psalm 125, the, the permanence of his people and of his saving them. So this promise of protection, like the first one, it's conditional on you and I trusting in God alone. And then the last two verses, we've got the prayer of God's people. And we have to remember that the psalmist here, he's praying under the old covenant. And one of its primary features uh, was the principle of God promising to bless us for our obedience and curse his people for their disobedience. Uh, so here in verse four, the prayer is just for God to fulfill that aspect of the old covenant. It says, do good to those who are good. Now, we're not under the old covenant anymore. We're under the new covenant as the redeemed in Jesus Christ. And while the, the reaping what we sow principle still applies, it's repeated in the New Testament. That's um, still applicable to us here and now. But as Jesus followers under the new covenant, 
um, we realize that what God says in Romans 3.23 is true, that there is none righteous. No, not one. Um, and that any good that might be in us is God in us, isn't it? Um, so when David prays here, Lord, do good to those who are good, we understand he's praying under the old covenant. And, and for us, it's a little bit different, but it's even better. It's greater because we have the gospel, and the greatness of the gospel is that God did good for us when we were not good, right? What does Romans 5, 8 say? God commendeth his love toward us. He showed his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we know that when we came to faith in Jesus, the very moment that we did that, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, God's word says it, it was imputed to us. We were given by God that perfect record of righteousness of Jesus Christ while he took our definitely imperfect record as he died on the cross for our sins in our place. So, so we can pray, we can pray this prayer along with David in verse 4. Um, because we are, we are those who are good and those who are upright in heart in Christ, in Christ. Romans 4, 5, and 6 speak of this imputed righteousness that's ours by faith in Jesus. It says, but to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And let me just say as a sidebar, and it's an important one, that we not only, as Christians, we not only have the imputed righteousness of Christ, but we also have the imparted righteousness. We have the desire, once we're made new in Christ, we have the ability uh, to do what Jesus commands us to do through the Holy Spirit. And um, imputed righteousness, that's behind our justification. But imparted righteousness enables you and I to be sanctified. It's behind our sanctification. As followers of Jesus Christ, uh, we are to be every day making what is true of us positionally, that we're righteous in Jesus Christ, that needs to be true of us practically. That's our goal. That's our, that's our job as followers of Jesus Christ right here and right now. Um, to live like who we are, to be who we are in Jesus. And if we look at verse 5, the prayer continues there with a warning that those who would turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Uh, crooked ways literally meaning um, side roads, bent roads that would go off the main highway to Jerusalem. And, and these are those who don't trust in the Lord. They, they might make a claim to trust in him, know him, serve him, but never trusting in the Lord alone, always him and this or that. And this part of the prayer and song, it would be particularly meaningful to these pilgrims on their road trip to worship. Look, don't get off any side roads. They'd be reminded of that in verse 5. Don't be detoured from your destination. And isn't that a constant threat for us as followers of Jesus? Yeah, in this world, it sure is. Detours, distractions, um, all the time Satan trying to keep us from keeping the main thing the main thing. Different things calling us to come over and check them out, to put our trust in them, to find our happiness or our peace or our joy and satisfaction in them. Might be relationships, might be stuff, 
might be a career, might be the treasures or pleasures of this world. We talked about um, Sunday night when Tommy and I were leading y'all through this study in David's life. Um, there was a detour in David's life, wasn't there? Yeah. yeah, it was one that led to a lot of trouble. When we were in the mountains, uh, we were going hiking a lot, and I was trying to find these places. I had this app called All Trails, and it would tell you where stuff was, kind of. Um, spotty coverage. You'd go up, you know, blowing rock, and you'd have it, and then you'd go down one of the hairpin turns, and all of a sudden you didn't have directions anymore. And I had one, and it said, go off here. And Chris said, this looks like somebody's driveway. And um, it, was start, it was snowing and icing, and we were trying to get this hike in before it got dark, and we didn't want to get out there with the ice on the roads trying to go downhill to our cabin. So I said, yeah, no, this says right here. This is where it is. And we went, and we went, and then it turned. And it was, I mean, this is just a dirt road but with a lot, of, a lot of big potholes. And uh, we kept going, and she's like, there's no way this is going anywhere. You know, we got off on a side road. And, and then it was, um, it actually was where the trailhead was. We didn't end up taking it. There was a bunch of cows. You had to walk through some pasture. It didn't seem very legit. And the poor girl was grabbing the, oh, shoot, handle all the time because of the, we were on a side road. And it ended up costing us about an hour and a half that day, uh, monkey, monkeying around in all that mud and stuff. You know, David went down a road that took him away from the Lord, and it caused him and his family a lot of pain. That's what verse 5 is talking about. If we would just trust in the Lord alone, as verse 1 <laughs> encourages us to do, we can be assured to experience what God pr promises in, in Isaiah 30, verse 21. He says, your ears are going to hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Whether you turn to the right or the left, the Lord will be there guiding us, the same one who surrounds us, the same one who gives us permanence and stability. And that's what God has reminded us of this evening. Um, permanence, a protection of those who are his. And these are eternal promises. They're eternal experiences. And they're provided to whosoever will trust in the Lord alone. It's a stability, it's a safety that that can be our real life experience. That's what God wants. I mean, this is what the Jesus follower uh, should have as a testimony of their life, should exude. Those who don't have it should see it in you because this world has neither. Uh, if, if we will be faithful, if we'll be full of faith in him. So we're here in the middle of the week, and my question for you is, have you been tempted even this week, or maybe it's recently, tempted to trust in something else? Or someone else? Have you been tempted to find joy or peace or safety or security outside of the Lord? And will you commit to realize the futility of that and then turn back to trusting in him alone? Will you ask the Lord tonight to bring you back from any detours that you might have taken and ask the Lord, just say, guide me. God, guide me as you have promised. Protect me as you have promised. I will trust in you alone. The last few words there in Psalm 125, peace be upon Israel. And uh, it's definitely that Hebrew word shalom. That's not just the absence of any kind of evil or negative experience. It's the presence of blessing. God's telling us this is the pathway to that. Trusting in a God um, who holds you in his hand forever. Trusting in a God who surrounds you 
trusting in, in a God who's always been faithful. He's worthy of our faith. Tommy, raise your hand.